Hi and welcome back to the Jubilee Plus podcast. I'm Abby Thomas and today I'm bringing you another seminar from the wonderful Churches That Change Communities Conference from 2023. This year's theme was Standing in the Gap and today we'll be hearing from Rosie Hopley who's part of the core team at Jubilee Plus. Her seminar is about violence against women, which is a hugely important topic for the whole church. But just a trigger warning at the beginning that some listeners might find some of the content distressing. We're going to hear a powerful personal story as well from author Claudine Roberts about the impact of violence on her life. It's lovely to be here with you today. Um, And in this seminar, Violence Against Women, Uh, We're going to hear some stories and examples of how God is building a church. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This, I hope, will be a time of being encouraged and challenged, and most importantly, being inspired by Jesus and how the Holy Spirit impacts empowers people to live distinctly, distinctively and differently from the world? How does God's love compel us to bring change for women impacted by violence and also to bring a call for justice? It's a broad and complicated topic, but just to give you a little bit more about me, um, I'm married to Nigel, and we have three grown-up children, and uh, I've lived in Bristol with my family for 30 years, and we're part of City Church Bristol. Currently, I'm a final year uh, MA theology student, and I'm leading the work uh, called Jubilee Plus Voices, which is working particularly with people who have got experience of living on the lowest income. And I'm also part of the Reconciled Church group. Until a couple of years ago, I was leading a ministry in Bristol that supports women working in indoors prostitution. So that's quite a mix of things that I've been involved with. And in any of those areas, I've come across violence against women. I could study it. I can see the impact of it in church, the impact on women in Jubilee Plus Voices, in where I grew up, uh, being at university and wherever I was. Violence or the threat of it seemed to be not far off. But where was justice? And how do we handle righteous anger? From the Yorkshire Ripper to Sarah Everard, violence against women is a daily reality that should shock and anger us deeply. We see in so many places the evidence of fracturing between men and women locally and internationally. And we know that violence comes in all kinds of forms. It could be physical, it could be sexual, and in other ways that people have experienced. But God is using his church to show his people how his people can live in a different way and have redeemed relationships with one another. And I'm gonna talk about how Jesus gives us a better hope than anything else we might find in the world. At the outset, let's acknowledge we know that this is really hard work and this is gonna be quite hard hearing some of what we're gonna share today. But God can be found right in the midst of this with us 
including our feelings of lament and righteous anger. And please, if you need to step out, or Paul's watching this on the recording, please do. Lord, I pray that you will be with us and guard our hearts and our minds. Protect and strengthen us. Help us to hear your voice over the next 40 minutes by your Holy Spirit. Be with me and Claudine as we share and all of us as we hear. Move us to loving action, Lord. May we know the reality of what it is to be all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. So during this seminar, I'm going to interview Claudine Roberts about the impact of violence on her life and Jesus's response. And Claudine's book can be ordered from the conference book stand uh, with a £2 discount today. This is the book, and I really do commend it to you if you are looking for resources that can help you if you want to take this journey further. What can the church do to speak up and reach out and support women impacted by violence? This work calls for wisdom, maturity and humility in the body of Christ. We've already heard those terms this morning from Nat. Rachel Joy Welcher says this, Christian maturity would mean that we are able to look at each other as whole beings, brothers and sisters, and have relationships with one another that aren't drenched in fear. That's the goal. We're family. And when I was thinking about how to prepare for this seminar, one of the first stories that came to mind was the one where Jesus met the woman who had been brought before him, the one who was caught in adultery. And he changed the trajectory of her life. And I think Jesus is still doing that today for women in all kinds of situations, especially those on the receiving end of judgment, violence and aggression. This is where it says in John 8. He shows us in this powerful encounter that he interrupted violence. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and then made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, and neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I've wondered where the adulterous man in this scene was, or where was her husband, in the crowd or elsewhere, 
we can but wonder because the text actually doesn't tell us. But I love how the fact in this passage, when you look at the physicality of Jesus, often in this exchange, he's stooping in the dust. The King of Kings, the one we have been worshipping, stooping in the dust before a woman who must have been terrified for her life. It's interesting, if you actually continue to read through John 8, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, it ends with the gathered people wanting to stone Jesus because of who he claimed to be, because he said, I am. And the gathered people would have known what he meant when he used that phrase. And in a way, it's an illustration of how he takes our place. Jesus placed himself in between the would-be executioners and the woman what a saviour. His love interrupted violence. And Jesus shows us that we too can speak up. We can reach out. And we can support women impacted by violence. But how do we do it? So when I was a student, I saw the ripple effect of violence against women and remember... Clearly, the first time I came across it in the context of church, a, a woman was murdered, and she was the sister of someone from our church. And the murder left behind devastation and shattered her family. And it was shocking that even though I was very new to being a follower of Jesus, I still lived in a world plagued by the evil of violence, and it was a wake-up call. And as a teenager, I was too well acquainted with the violence of men. And this ranged from uh, experiencing violence and assault at the hands of boyfriends and ex-boyfriends and local men. And I wit witnessed the violence of men against other women around me. It began with me seeing pimps beating up women um, in prostitution. I would watch it from my bedroom window, probably when I was about 10 years old, feeling very powerless to intervene. And I also grew up during the time of the Yorkshire Ripper. Several of the women and teenage girls that he murdered were found within a few minutes' walk of my home and the brothels and street corners in our community. And women over the decades have been plagued by violence. Sarah Everard's murder at the hands of a police officer deeply shocked and grieved us. And the recent murder of Eliane Adams, a 15-year-old schoolgirl in Croydon, hit the headlines. What can we do in light of such grim headlines and devastated lives? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is we can bring our distress and our righteous anger to God and lament and give voice to our grief. At last year's conference, I did a sem seminar on lament, and there's some helpful information in that if that's where you find yourself. Books like Psalms and Lamentations and Job from the Bible can really help us because it's right that we are angry and devastated at this. We know that God is the God of all justice, perfect justice, righteousness, and comfort. And I found that by God's power, he took my fear and brought healing in my life. And he freed me from self-blame and shame. And in my 40s, he called me to reach out to women in prostitution. And 
that resulted in the starting up of Beloved, uh, a ministry for women in the sex industry where teams from local churches share the gospel and support exit for women for who have got to that point where they want out and we bring comfort. I found that God drew me and others out of a dark place, helping us to use our voices to communicate something that he had placed within us. And he also made me brave when I was feeling scared as well. And when I felt powerless, but that's okay because we bring that to God too. I passed on the baton of leading beloved in early 2021, but I continue to champion the cause um, of interrupting violence. Now I'd love for us to hear from Claudine who has her own story of God's intervention and the impact of violence on her life. So Claudine is a former human rights solicitor and a member of the preaching team at Freedom Church Liverpool, part of the New Ground family within New Frontiers. She is married to Paul and they have three children. Claudine is a survivor of sexual violence. and She writes and speaks on what the Bible says about violence against women. Claudine, thanks for coming here today. So can you tell us some of your story from your teenage years and early 20s? Yeah, thanks so much, Rosie. Um, so I um, was not brought up in a Christian household, but I became a Christian when I was about 16. Um, and shortly after that was um, the first time that I was sexually assaulted. Um, in, my, in my late teens, there was two violent sexual assaults, um, two different guys. And then in my early 20s, I was raped in the context of um, an emotionally abusive relationship. Um, and at the time... Well, the first time when I was 16, I, I think I didn't really understand what had happened to me. I couldn't really tell anyone because I didn't identify it as a sexual assault. Um, obviously, I knew that something bad had happened, but I didn't have the vocabulary to explain it. And having just become a Christian, I think I saw it in the context of my own sin or, or I felt responsible and felt like I had sinned in, in that situation. Um, and so I was able to repent, but I wasn't able to seek healing for an attack that had happened on me, you know. Um, and so I didn't tell anyone. I just pushed it all down um, on each occasion. So three separate occasions, three separate perpetrators, just pushed it all down Um and in fact, I believe that the lie told me an enemy, that um, the enemy told me a lie, that, that my voice didn't matter. You know, with each, with each no in those situations, it was like, your no doesn't matter, your voice doesn't matter. Um, and so I guess it impacted who, who I became because I felt like my voice didn't matter. Thank you. And you began to deal with your experiences um, of sexual violence after decades in 2019. Can you tell us about that and what happened? Yeah, thanks, Rosie. Um, it was God's perfect timing, really. At the time, it didn't feel like it. It felt like, God, why are you doing this now? Um, on the brink of a global pandemic, God started speaking to me about what had happened. And it was through a conversation with someone from church um, 
where it was kind of an offhand comment that made me feel dismissed in that moment and like my voice didn't matter and I got really angry and I said God why am I so cross about this silly little conversation that means nothing and God just kind of said in passing oh it's because you believe a lie of the enemy that your voice doesn't matter and I was like what? Um, and he said, oh, and, and it's linked to what happened to you when you were younger. And so all this stuff started to spill out. Um, and my mental health really took a dive because I just felt like everything was coming to the surface. And it felt like the, particularly the very first assault, because I hadn't even identified it as a sexual assault. It felt like it had only just happened. The trauma was very raw and I hadn't dealt with it at all. And so um, I just started a new job working for New Ground Churches and I was um, just crying and, and the guys in the office were saying, are you okay, Clayton? And I was saying, yes, but clearly I wasn't um, because God was starting to do something and speak to me about that. And actually it was perfect timing because then um, the expectation on, on me at work kind of uh, reduced and um, my husband was suddenly working from home and helping with the kids. And actually I, I really did have the time and space to deal with it much better than any other time. Thank you. And how can the church begin to get the conversation going on violence against women? Yeah, so the thing for me was that um, I, turned, I turned to the Bible, I turned to God, but I never heard any teaching on what the Bible says about the stories. It's full of stories, isn't it, about violence against women, and I never heard any teaching on it. Um, and so I really started to dig into those stories um, and talk to people about it, and I believe that's really the key. Let's, let's talk about it. That's my heart. I want to get the church talking about it, because how will women know that our churches are safe places, either to find help to escape escape abuse and violence or to find healing from their past hurts if we never talk about it they won't know that it's a safe place and in fact from from church history they might think it's really not a safe place you know um, because things happen within the church even um, where women find themselves at risk and so um, yeah I think the first and foremost thing for churches is to get talking about it and to get talking about the the biblical stories of violence against women and teaching on them um, because there's just been this silence we cherry pick don't we from the bible and oh we'll teach on this and this but not this um, and we're, we're supposed to teach the whole of scripture aren't we so good thank you and writing your journals and then eventually um, your book played a big role for you didn't it um, how did that help yeah so um so being a lawyer, I wanted to gather the evidence, right? So I was reading the stories, the biblical stories of violence against women, and um, just writing in my prayer journals all the, all the evidence I could find for, for what God says about it, about each story. Um, and I was looking for a book. I'm, I'm a reader, so I was looking for a book that would explain the stories to me. And I was basically ordering everything I could find off the internet. My husband was like, another parcel? What are you doing? I was like, I'm researching... I was just ordering all these books and there was a little bit about Hagar in one book and a little bit about Tamar in another. Um, and I was writing myself notes for my, for my own education on the subject. Um, and, but I couldn't find one single book that would explain them all and explain why they're in there and what we're supposed to take from them. Um, and so then uh, God sort of pointed out my prayer journals and he was like, you know that book that you were looking for? That's where it is. Um, and so I kind of 
got the stuff out of my prayer journals and created a Bible study um, for other women because God said like you need this but there are other women in our churches who need to know about what God says about what happened to them um, and so I um, compiled this Bible study and approached some publishers and it's part of the cover to cover series which is a really well established series for small groups so it's designed um, as like a seven week study with discussion questions um, so you can do it on your own or as a small group um, and it was a real surprise and delight to, to be included as part of that um, but you see there wasn't one it was missing um, so yeah and finally can you share where you think churches are getting it right some positive examples please Thanks, Tracy. I've got some great examples. So even just from something little, like putting stickers on the back of your toilet doors with helplines of where women experiencing violence can can get help that's so important because that shows people that your church is a safe place to find help so even something little like that but then also we've got churches there's a group of churches in Milton Keynes who have kind of come together and decided to call themselves the sanctuary network and they've decided that they're going to be safe churches for women escaping domestic abuse um, and then there's um, a church some churches in um, East London who are partnering with a charity called Orchards and they provide accommodation and support for women escaping trafficking um, and I've seen um, charities springing up that help women who have suffered female genital mutilation because I think sometimes when we think about violence against women we can think we're just talking about domestic abuse but there are actually so many different types of violence against women so they're, they're, most of them are covered in here um, and so there's so many things that we can do and churches can partner with various charities there's restored who were part of the um this conference last year um and you can partner with them and they help women who um have suffered domestic abuse um yeah so and then in the back of here there's some also some um suggestions of things that you can do wonderful thank you so much That was really powerful and practical too, thank you. So you've heard some things that we can do to help and not harm. Um, and there are actually also some practical things that we can do for ourselves as well, which I will come to later on. Obviously, we can use our voices, we can speak up. And uh, uh, we talked briefly, or mentioned briefly, that my work with Jubilee Plus Voices and the participants there um, came up with ideas of how churches could offer specialist support to women affected by violence. And, and the, the people there were coming up with ideas. And so one idea was to make extra efforts with young women um, who might be experiencing violence at the hands of boyfriends, for example. And I know, actually, if I'd had such a community around me when I was 16, it would have made a material and positive change to my life. And also violence is not just linked to uh, poverty and low income. Uh, we need to challenge our biases and, and the judgments in our own hearts. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was speaking with a, a church leader who shared that the highest incidence of domestic abuse in her parish covered two areas. One was a local estate, and then a few miles away, a, a very wealthy area which is renowned for being old money. 
And stories like these help to highlight the assumptions that sometimes we can make and also the importance of just actually having our biases challenged. Violence against women and girls often catapults them into poverty and worse financial situations. I've known of women who have ended up in massage parlors and brothels, homeless because of the violence of close partners and, and family members. Or thinking of, um, say, women um, in shelters, you know, and some of them are in mixed shelters because they're fleeing violence in their, their homes. So maybe this is something that your church could look at, finding ways to support women in the local hostel, if there is one. Maybe some of you could get started or reach out and offer a befriending service for women there. And with trained volunteers, there's so much actually that can be done to reduce the isolation and the stigma and the silence. Claudine talked about silence. There is so much silence around this. Being alongside somebody and just saying, you are not alone, is unbelievably powerful. Let's also face some of the things that we've got wrong. For example, I was recently speaking with a leader who was telling me that the church has taught, stay with your husband. But what about when a husband is being very manipulative and grooming leaders? The church can inadvertently support women staying in abusive relationships. And there's evidence that points to this in the church guide from Restored. One quote from their guide says this, women of faith stay longer in relationships with an abuser due in, in some instances to their Christian beliefs. Jesus said this in Matthew 10 verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We've got to be shrewd in this work and ask the Holy Spirit, please give us discernment and pray. Church leaders, what about bringing church teaching about healthy, godly relationships of equality and showing also what abusive, controlling relationships look like? Do you have wise and mature women who can pastor women through domestic abuse situations? I'm sure you do. And remember, if you are caring for and discipling women in violent situations, get the safeguarding experts in, report to the police, and ensure that women and children are safe, because love interrupts violence. Being prepared with a basic safeguarding policy helps with confidence and clarifies what to do when situations arise. And we don't do this on, on our own. You, you've heard already of some of the agencies that we can turn to. There's lots of help out there if we will look for it. And also, if women are venting at you as their pastor, don't take it personally. It's not about you. It's hard, but it's vital. They may actually just be pouring out pain that has laid buried for a long time. Read books, learn from the wisdom of others who know more than you. This is why we need humility in this work. And strap on your spiritual armor and pray, 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 because only God can change the hearts of those inflicting violence. But the church, equipped with maturity and wisdom and humility, does have a part to play. Next slide, please. Steph Liston, who's here today, 
in his book, Gender Quality, says this. God's plan, therefore, is that our appreciation for one another runs both mutual and deep. We can demonstrate and prove that women will find a church to be a place where they are treated with dignity and equality and as full image bearers of God. And by doing this, it's actually a way how we can stand against evil and we can allow it to become part of our gospel witness. But we really do need God's equipping and his spirit and his power and his love in this work. Next slide, please. When I was talking with one church leader, this is what he told me. Restoration of the marriage in some cases is not the goal. Sometimes the marriage has to die in order for life to come back. The point is to keep people following Jesus. Don't overpromise and underdeliver. Be a church that listens and says sorry when you get things wrong. The women coming out of domestic abuse will have things to teach you, and it's important to make room for their lived experience, which can shape the theory and even the practice. People will share their stories, and as they do this, you will discover there is much to learn. I would actually add to this, sometimes it's about keeping women alive. It's important for women to know that you have a church that will fight for you. And it could be paying for counselling sessions or changing the locks or giving a place of shelter to those fleeing violence. Now, maybe you think, well, this doesn't have anything to do with my context. Well, let's be honest and realistic about whatever issues are out there because they're not just out there, they're in here with us. It's happening in our churches too. We desperately hope it isn't happening, but the statistics relating to rape and sexual abuse alone show that one in four women have been raped or sexually assaulted as an adult. One in four. And one in four will be subjected to domestic abuse. Given figures like that and adding those who have been uh, treated violently in other ways in your church gathering. Statistically, there will be women impacted. At this conference, when we go back into the main hall, look around the room, there will be women sitting there who have been impacted. And maybe more watching the seminars who have been personally and closely impacted by violence against women. So this is a pastoral issue. And what we are dealing with here is many, many bruised reeds. So I'm going to share some specific lessons that we learned through Jubilee Plus Voices group. And uh, um, there's actually also a pre-recorded seminar with the Jubilee Plus Voices uh, group. So if you want to watch that um, after today, please do take a look. Thinking of those affected by violence, and remember it won't be just women. I know this is Violence Against Women seminar, but it's clearly it's not just women. We know it impacts boys girls, men and women. It impacts people of all ages. And some of these will need to be discipled through the valleys. One Jubilee Plus participant said, what is needed are leaders that will be down at the bottom level with real people. Lots of people don't want to know what the Bible says. They need stories. 
hearing how people were helped with pathways into, say, employment or prayer or miraculous healing of illness. It was wonderful. And, um, and being honest about what it is like to be in the valley was really helpful to people. One woman said, churches need that relatable person that will be there. I can't fix people, but I can lead them to God who can fix them. Are you that relatable person? Or do you know somebody who is? Think how you can get involved. And just another quick word about stories. Some people didn't always want to share their story to get help. They told us it's up to them to choose if or when they want to. And I can attest to that because what I shared about my own story earlier is the first time I've ever done it publicly. It's taken me a very long time to feel ready to share it. Another recommendation that came um, from the Jubilee Plus Voices group was that people, um, women from an overseas heritage can deepen the effects of isolation if they're fleeing domestic abuse because they're losing their community in more, way than, more ways than one. Now, many churches are also working, say, with people seeking asylum. So are there you know, particular challenges that some women might be facing or those who have been trafficked or exploited? So you could, as a church, commit to directly helping those whose lives are being disrupted. There's, um, as Claudine mentioned, there's lots of resources um, at the back of her book, um, but I've also brought um, some sheets with me, some resources sheets that quotes a whole load of stats and sources as well, um, references, so please do help yourself to those if you want to find out some further information. So what do we do if something comes to light? Well, empathy is clearly hugely important here. We often don't know what to say, and that's okay. But what we can do is we can listen with love. And this is where an appropriate member of your pastoral team comes in who can really help with this. If a woman comes forward, ensure that she is supported by someone who is equipped and gifted. Invest in training for your pastoral staff or recruit people with the necessary skills. Be really intentional about this. Think what you're doing with your church budget around training. And please ask someone who discloses something what she needs at this time. And that might change one day to the next. And that often relates to trauma. Also consider the, the benefits of good clinical supervision as well, where possible for pastoral staff. Think about how you are responding also in your preaching and teaching series. Claudine, you said it really well. We need to validate this from the front and show women that you see it and you see them because God sees it and he sees them. Just like Hagar in the desert, he saw her. He saw her. As a church, we can be the hands and feet that help. Jesus is the one who steps in and he calls us to as well. Use your voice, use your ears to listen well. Be shrewd, be courageous. 
we can show that God is a God of abundant goodness. God is the one who can bring order out of chaos. I was thinking about that this morning, um, over the last couple of days, just reading the first couple of verses of Genesis, how the Holy Spirit brooded at the beginning, and God formed order out of chaos. And we are dealing with people whose lives probably feel absolutely blasted by chaos. But God can bring comfort and can bring order even in the midst of devastation. So we talked about how we can speak up and reach out and support women. Finally, uh, before we kind of finish with just a brief time of prayer, I want to talk about how do we remain well in this ourselves, particularly when we're weary or feeling overwhelmed. And something um, that I used to encourage the beloved team, as well as we would do uh, regular clinical supervision um, and team supervision, we we would also build in different ways of finding rest and refreshment. We would think about what replenishes us rather than drains us. And we would even think about, you know, actually how would you cost that out? Because sometimes, you know, going for a walk, okay, that's free. But there are other things that we might want to do that cost a little bit more money. So just work out what can you do for free? What might you need to save up for? For me, it's getting down to my little allotment plot. I put seeds in the ground and I can see you all. You'll see these gorgeous dahlias behind me. Do you know what brought me even more joy was that I didn't plant those. Somebody on a neighboring um, plot said they had so many flowers, please come and help yourself. And I was straight down there. (laughs) I love getting stuff for free. (laughs) But I tell you, I gazed at those flowers literally over the next few days, just marveling. Oh, God, you're the God who stoops and you created this. Oh, you're so kind. It does me good to be reminded of God's provision and that he is sovereign and he is in control. So be thinking and planning for yourself and others. What does you good? What slows you down if that's needed? I realize many of us here are activists. Activists, sometimes we need to slow down. So think about what slows you down. What gets you out into fresh air? What brings you into community? Just want to move on to a final word from Theresia Hinger. She said this, that the church has to be in solidarity with women. These efforts should be made out of genuine concern for justice for women and the restoration of their dignity. So that's what Jesus gave back to the woman. He gave her back her dignity. Thank you so much to Rosie Hopley and Claudine Roberts. And there's a link to buy Claudine's book, Discovering Elroy, the God Who Sees, in the show notes attached to this episode. And if you need any help and support yourself, especially over the things that have been raised in this episode, please contact Women's Aid via their website, which is womensaid.org.uk. And again, you'll find that link in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us today. Do subscribe to hear more content from this year's Churches That Change Communities conference as it's released over the coming weeks. Underneath the shelter of your